Well, hello again. <laughs> As always, thanks for tuning in, folks. PCC Sustain Me is jazzed to have joined forces with The Bridge, Portland Community College's student newspaper. This means there will be a weekly column online for your eyeballs to enjoy with the weekly episodes. Isn't that nice? And we are super duper stoked to be working in partnership with Gypsum, the Greater Portland Sustainability Education Network as well. You can connect and access the program via gpsen.org too. Now the podcast has multiple cozy places to call home. (laughs) Okay, well, back to the program we go. From Portland Community College, this is PCC Sustain Me. I'm Joe Colhane, and today's episode will be about the 11th Global RCE Conference in Cebu City, Philippines, and a nice chat with Charles Hopkins. Boom, boom, darkness falls, headlights in the afternoon. On behalf of the United Nations University Institute for the Advanced Study of Sustainability, I have the great pleasure and honor to welcome you to the 11th Global Arushi Conference. We are profoundly grateful to Arushi Cebu for hosting this conference, and we applaud them for being active in the Arushi community. What you just heard was a portion of Lu Pang He Nirang, the Philippine National Anthem, and Dr. Hiroaki Takiguchi, Project Director of the United Nations University Institute for the Advanced Study of Sustainability, during the opening ceremonies of the 11th Global RCE Conference held at the University of the Philippines, Cebu. It was from December 7th through the 9th, and folks from many places around the world gathered to focus on pathways towards sustainable development. I was honored to be one of those folks gathered there, and I can tell you right now, it was a surreal and profound experience. Besides the 24 plus hours of travel in order to get there, and then finding myself presenting just 12 hours later, Being on the other side of the planet for the first time, in a tropical climate filled with Christmas cheer everywhere, after a long layover in the futuristic airport of Seoul, Korea, well, let me just say, this all still feels like it was something out of a dream. (laughs) Well, there was a lot that happened in just a few days' time, and plenty to unpack from that trip. Thankfully... I had the pleasure to speak with one of the founding members of these global RCEs, Dr. Charles Hopkins, to help bring more of a context to all that is going on and all that has happened since 2005, when in collaboration with the United Nations University, this all began. But before we move forward and I explain what 
even RCEs are, and we hear from Charles, who had some great wisdom and reflections to share on the Global Conference, I would first like to acknowledge that this program is being recorded on the traditional village sites of the Multnomah, Kaplumit, Clackamas, Bands of the Chinook, Tualatin Kalapuya, Molala, and many other tribes who made their homes along the Columbia River. Maltnoma is a band of Chinooks that lived in this area. We thank the descendants of these tribes for being the original stewards and protectors of these lands since time immemorial. We also acknowledge that Portland, Oregon has the ninth largest urban Native American population in the U.S., with over 380 federally recognized tribes represented in the urban Portland metropolitan area. We also acknowledge the systemic policies of genocide, relocation, and assimilation that still impact many indigenous Native American families today. We are honored by the collective work of many Native nations, leaders, and families who are demonstrating resilience, resistance, revitalization, healing, and creativity. We are honored to be guests upon these lands. Thank you, and thanks also to our colleagues at the Portland State University Indigenous Nation Studies Program for crafting this acknowledgement. We were treated on both nights after the conference to incredibly beautiful songs and performances. Cebu, I learned, is the festival island of the Philippines, blessed with faith, fun, and fiesta. Cebuanos celebrate life with unparalleled passion. Almost all towns and cities of the island of Cebu have their own unique, colorful, and exciting festival. Cebu even has two theme songs that are so dang catchy. I haven't decided if I'm going to hook you in with one or maybe both of them just yet. They'll be in your head like earworms forever. You know what? I'm just going to give you a taste of one of them right now because I would like you to join me in having this on repeat in your head too. I do, though. The Filipino folks I met had hearts the size of mountains, and the love and laughter they radiated was as welcoming as any sunrise. And so, this Cebu City in the Philippines was the setting for the 11th Global RCE Conference, Education for the Sustainable Development Goals. And before I even get too ahead of myself, it is really important to share a bit about what RCEs are 
in the first place. You see, Gibson is an RCE, or Regional Center of Expertise on Education for Sustainable Development, acknowledged by the United Nations University. As has been previously mentioned on this program, but is worth elaborating on now, there are 166 regional centers of expertise worldwide currently. There are four regional conferences annually, or close to annually, and uh, there have been 11 global conferences, including this one that just took place in Cebu. I spoke with Charles Hopkins about all of this, and we reflected on the global conference, which was really nice. And for a little more background on Charles Hopkins from uh, York University's website, Charles A. Hopkins holds the UNESCO chair at York University in Toronto, Canada. He has been an advisor to several ministries of education in Asia and Europe, as well as universities and colleges in the Americas. He has numerous publications and has lectured worldwide on a range of topics from quality education to educating for global citizenship and educating for a sustainable future. In the past, he was a teacher, principal, curriculum superintendent, and regional superintendent with the Toronto Board of Education before assuming the UNESCO chair in 1999. He has been awarded seven honorary doctorates and professorships spanning Europe, Latin America, and Asia. He is a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts in the UK, the Salzburg Global Seminar in Austria, and the Australian Association of Environmental Educators. Today, Hopkins is advisor to both the United Nations University, UNESCO UNIVOC, on technical and vocational education, and co-director of the Asia-Pacific Institute on Education for Sustainable Development in Beijing, China. Well, I did call him Dr. Charles Hopkins due to his seven different honorary doctorates, though he is just Charles or Chuck to many. Though we will be sticking with Charles for the sake of, you know, courtesy and professionalism that this podcast strives to achieve. <laughs> Sincerely, though, it was really a treat to sit with Charles the last morning in Cebu before flying out and hearing from a person who has been present since the dawn of the RCE and the ESD programs. I started by asking him how he felt about the 11th Global RCE Conference. Here's what he had to say. Well, I, th I thought that um, it, again, was really successful in the, in the fact that people who often work in isolation in, in different communities around the world come together and we uh, recharge our batteries, uh, you know, so that's an important thing. But sharing the kinds of things that are going on and, and the change in it, um, let me just say a few words about Please. about what I'm noticing is, is uh, within the evolution of, of the whole thing. Originally, the regional centers of expertise were, were set up to explore. It was almost a, a, a research project of the United Nations University to see how education, public awareness, and training could actually contribute to building more sustainable societies and more sustainable communities. The rector, Hans von Ginkel, 
and and I we were in in talking we were concerned that countries were not making much progress and it was largely because they were in competition and then they had to go back to their communities you know to their congress or whatever and <clears throat> and try to appear a winner so it's, it continues today, whether it's trade talks or climate change or biodiversity, whatever. It, it's an international negotiation, and it's, um, you know, but in the meantime, the world continues to go down. So we thought, what if we bypass that? We went right to the community. And at the community level, it's not negotiating. It's people coming together and knowledge, using knowledge and, uh, and goodwill, you know, based on science, uh, try to improve things for themselves. And so that was the, the concept. So we said, how can we do this? So This is a long answer, I'm sorry. Right, but uh, the, the, the concept was we bring together two big groups. One group would be, we call them the messengers. So this would be those who talk to the community Right. The source of information, whether it's public education, um, non-formal in the way of non-government organizations, even the city or the region, they have departments that put out pamphlets. That they want to inform the community. Faith-based groups, um, museums, um, you know, zoos, botanical gardens, whatever, the, me the messengers. Bring them together with the people who know what are the, the social, the environmental, and the economic issues that are threatening the sustainability of the community, whether it's migration coming in or it's an environmental uh, uh, issue or problem, traffic congestion, recycling, what, whatever. You know, let, let's, if you had an informed public, could that make a difference? So it was to bring together with the messengers those people who knew. So urban planners, researchers, it could be parts of the university itself. The private sector sort of is aware of what are the, what are the issues facing our community. So that we could take the realism and put it into the hands of the messengers and try and build a more knowledgeable society. Now, what is changing? What is changing? In those days, when we first started this, the idea was like 13 years ago now, we thought of getting good information and putting it into the hands of the people. Now, what is emerging is that it's much more two-way. It isn't just about dissemination. And now it is more about listening to engaging the general public. They have their ideas of what they want to know, as opposed to being the recipient, the passive recipient. And so the idea of the regional centers being a two-way street, and uh, in most cases, a, a, a very neutral, way of bringing together different groups to discuss issues and to come up with solutions. And the, the other thing that is changing is that there is more of an action component. It, it isn't sort of the, the passive recipient 
of information. It, it's what do we do about it? And so it, it, the, what is happening is that it is moving beyond the original dreams. And it is moving beyond the original dreams. Now we're over 160 of these around the world, whereas uh, 11 years ago there were seven. So, yes, it's a very long answer to uh, what do you think about this year's conference? <laughs> You're hearing a song performed by some of the local women of the Elo Guinsan, where uh, half of the conference attendees, including myself, went on an incredible eco-river tour of the Boho River. The other half of the attendees did a Cebu City tour, which I understand was extremely fascinating as well. It is challenging to distill all that took place in the two primary days of the conference. There was representation from Africa, Americas, Asia-Pacific, and Europe regional RCEs, several United Nations university members, and there were presentations, workshops, and a really great panel discussion called RCE Engagement in National and International Sustainability Processes. It's worth noting that it was a six-person panel comprised entirely of women from around the world. They were Miss Vanessa V. Caride from Asian Center for Biodiversity, Dr. Mary Otieno from RCE Greater Nairobi, Dr. Rodora Bukoy, RCE Cebu, and the chairperson of the Philippine Commission on Women, Dr. Juliet Jaruta, uh, Director 4, Department of Education in Region 7. Dr. Yana Dluha, RCE Chechia, and our PCC connection, Dr. Kim Smith of RCE Greater Portland. Forgive me uh, on the pronunciation of any of those names I may have slightly butchered. Uh, but it was really, it was a really great uh, panel, and, you know, these... Two days of conferences were just jam-packed with goodness. There were parallel sessions both days, which had case presentations by RCE members from around the world, providing their local examples of projects or programs that collectively covered all 17 of the Sustainable Development Goals and how they related to education for sustainable development. I got the chance to attend many of these and connect with several folks who have already expressed interest in being on the program to share more about what they are up to, which I'm really excited to do. Bringing it back around and considering that 13 years have passed since this all began, I wanted to see where Charles felt things were at and what he was looking forward to in the coming years as well. I really appreciated his perspective and way he reflected on this question. I think the um, what is emerging is the focus. You know, when you stop and think of what are the sustainability threats, it, it can be so wide-ranging, so almost overwhelming that you feel your little bit is. Uh, 
you know, you're blowing into uh, right. into the face of a hurricane, uh, and that's hard. But what is the has emerged is that now that we have the sustainable development goals that every country is supposed to be working on collaboratively and so on this has brought forward the the 17 big ideas hunger poverty improving education you know the uh, addressing issues of what is happening in the collapse of the oceans, terrestrial, all of the, these are the big issues. So all of the 160 or so of the RCEs will be now taking this, these big international ideas and localizing them. That, that really is exciting. How do we interpret this in Portland? How do we interpret this in Vermont? How do we interpret this in the Shenandoah Valley, Atlanta, Texas, you know, all, all those around? How do we interpret those, those big dreams, though, in Africa, in Asia, South America? You know? So over the next while, I think we will really learn a lot of ideas of localizing and whether they're social uh, issues you know racism inclusion expulsion all of, all of those kinds of ideas from here I, in, in the island of Cebu I'm going to the island of Mindanao and I'll be part of, of a discussion on, on uh, multiculturalism where they have huge, uh, well, open civil war. Mm. But on top of civil war between Christian and, and, uh, and Muslim, on top of that is economic invasion of wealthier countries coming in to reap their natural resources mm. and the feeling of indigenous people, the feeling of local traditional people of all of this. How do, so that is dealing with a number of, of the, the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, mm -hmm. but in a very local context. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what is so exciting for me, is for once we have a focus, we have a way of, uh, we have ideas as to what we're doing, and now the learning curve begins because par there are two parts. One is to uh, the regional centers of, uh, of excellence. One part is dissemination and discussion of, uh, of uh, sustainability issues in your community. The other thing is sharing these between a global learning space. How can the RCEs learn from one another? How can they share and then bring this back forward so it is a, a global community learning circle made up of 160 local learning circles. That's very cool. Yeah, that I, before this this past weekend, I it was hard to um, bring that into context of of how beautiful the connections could be actually, and and also I think you were talking about like how you're about to go to a multicultural workshop or, or uh, meetings where embracing uh, diverse cultures 
while sharing a, a focus is super important. And I guess that's been my biggest thing too, or one of the bigger things because the SDGs, the sustainable development goals aren't a declaration of um, homogenizing humanity, but they are a, a, a nice, concise, but still open enough uh, set of guidelines and tools to apply to all of our unique cultures and regions. And I, I guess that's what's been really cool for me is to be like, oh yeah, some of what I've been learning doesn't apply just due to cultural differences, but some of the universal teaching methods and modalities and 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 ways to um, enrich our own communities has been eye opening. This is very cool. I'm 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 excited. Um, maybe if you could, could you touch on? I just I think it's so amazing that you you travel so much of the world, but uh, maybe just like one. So you're gonna go home. I understand in a couple of weeks. You're almost there. Um, but uh, what you're in your travels, in your work moving forward, you're most excited for as we approach 2019, and um, maybe maybe uh, bring it into uh, the local Toronto scene. If there's some some exciting work that you're a part of there that you could uh, share just a little bit about. Yeah, most of my work takes me internationally. Right, right around the uh, around the globe, within my UNESCO chair at York University in Toronto, there are about five big areas that I work on simultaneously. So one of them is the the re helping to establish and, and enhance the regional centers of expertise. So that's with the United Nations University. Um, also, though, working on trying to engage the world's teachers um, in this. There are about 65 million teachers around the world, so you can't work with 65 million. But what we can do is work with those who train and, and educate and prepare teachers. So I have um, built a, a network in 70 countries of about 300 faculties of education who are looking at how, how do we embed the concept of sustainability into, into teacher education. The third area that I'm working on is what is the whole concept of quality education? That, that is a huge issue. In, uh, in 2014, I, I chaired uh, the writing of a declaration of the world's ministers of education, whereby we embedded in it urging countries to revisit the purpose of their education system. Because right now, with far too many countries, they look at language and mathematics and science in some cases or in some few cases, religion, as the purpose of education. These are tools, you know, and it is important to keep your tools sharp and up to date and so on. But the big issue is what are you going to do with them? What is really the purpose of education? And can that way we can measure quality instead of, oh, he has better tools than the other person, right? So <clears throat> the whole discussion around what is a quality education, could you really have a quality education if it does not address the future of the inhabitants and the planet itself? Then we did some research on 
by embedding education for sustainable development in the in the, the ongoing really top quality education systems around the world, like Finland, Korea, and, and Japan, Canada. Canada usually ranks about number five to number seven in the world and so on. So in embedding it, what did this do to the education? And because people were concerned that maybe this would take away their score in math and language. It didn't do that. What it did, it enhanced. But it also brought in 21st century learning skills. The idea of, of, of being looking at, able to, uh, to comprehend in a, in a holistic manner. To it actually transformed the education in, into the ability to communicate, to collaborate, all of the skills that the private sector is asking for. You know, critical thinking. What if? What would be another right answer? All, all, of, all of that part of creativity had answered. Then the other part that I'm working on that is takes up most of my time is if. Education for sustainable development enhances the education of those who are already at the top. Could it help those who are least well served in the world? And so now I'm working in 40 countries with uh, a little over 120 researchers looking at how by involving local issues can we improve the education of the world's indigenous youth? That, in my heart, is, is the real one. And, it's, and that begins with asking the indigenous people, what kind of education do you want? Yeah. As opposed to going in and trying to push our, our vision of math language in language in English largely or or one of the dominant languages and what we're in many ways doing is killing the biodiversity of of, of cultures you know so th those are, are things that uh, keep the intellectual juices flowing <laughs> uh, that's a beautiful uh, answer and I share in my heart that that desire to uplift the the marginalized and oppressed that uh, unfortunately Western expansion, colonial settler, that dominant structure has really overtaken. As we're in the Philippines, where English is the primary language, everyone yeah. and Christmas is a, such a rich holiday. It's really funny, uh, remarkable to to see. It's a beautiful culture here, yeah. as we talked about yesterday. Um, well, uh, that that was a great place for me to to have a conclusion. But maybe if you had any one last thing you you uh, cared to share with a new audience learning about the regional centers of expertise or how how they can um, be a part of it or get engaged or any kind of final thought you cared to share, because um, I'm I'm just. I mean, I, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but for the sake of a concise yeah. podcast, I'd like to just keep it uh, brief for the time being here, because I'm just really honored to, to have a chat with you here. So, um, yeah, any conclusion kind of thoughts or anything you want to share? Well, I, I think that um, in my work with, uh, whether it's UNESCO or the United Nations University, 
uh, or the people who are struggling at, uh, with the United Nations Environment Program or climate change, etc. Um, the message that I would like to to put out there is that it is a it is largely a facilitating role that the UN continues to to play. Right. When we talk about, uh, for instance, global citizenship education, we're not talking about boundaries or world government. We're talking about a headspace. We're talking about a perspective that how can I live my life as a Canadian, as a, as a, a, a citizen of Cameroon or, or the United States or whatever? You know, how can I live my life in a way that collaborates with other people without teaching but learning, you know, without... It, it, it's it's about sharing. It's it, and it is about trying to come forward with perspectives, adding them to the conversation, but without putting down others. You know that we don't have a successful worldview from a sustainability perspective. We're, we're driving the sustainability bus by looking in the rearview mirror. We know what we're trying to drive away from. We don't really see where we're going. That's over the horizon. And until we have a clear vision and know in our hearts that it's going to work, what we need to do is to keep all our options open to listen to worldviews and perspectives. Let me just close with one really nice little story because I know this is all about stories, right? It's about stories. So let me tell you, <coughs> about a month ago, I was in the mountains in, in Taiwan and visiting a school of, with one of the hill tribes. And as I pulled up to the front of the school, on one there were gates, and on the top of one pillar on one side was a huge uh, black bird that was, I don't, I'm not sure whether it was out of paper mache or whatever, but it was like a, a five-foot black bird. And on the other side was a five-foot toad. <laughs> so when I went in, I asked the principal eventually, I said, what is the, with the blackbird and the toad? And he said, I have a, a girl who speaks some English. She said, uh, she's in grade four. She'll, t she'll tell you about it. So he called and he had her come down. Anyway, the, the young girl took me out and I said, what is with the, uh, the blackbird? And she said, well, when humans first came to the planet, the animals felt very sorry for them because they had no, they were so weak and they had no defense and no, no specialty. Said, so the animals thought that the best thing they could do was to give them the gift of fire because that way they, and she went on a bit. And said, so the most beautiful bird went to the volcano and picked up fire in its beak 
It was terrible, but it burnt all its feathers, it burned its beak black, and, but it brought fire as the gift. And she said, and the, the land animals felt the same. And, and so a toad volunteered, they said it was actually a beautiful frog. And it went, and it put the lava from the volcano on its back. It burnt its back, it blistered it, it dried out its skin, and, but it brought back, and before it died, it gave, it, uh, gave the gift of fire. So I said, well, they're a nice stories. And, and she looked up at me, her eyes opened, she said, they're not just stories. She said, these, these are important. And I said, what is the meaning? And she said that the animals look after us, but we don't look after them. And she said, we, we need to think more about the whole world and not just ourselves. You know, it's a beautiful story, and quite often when we hear in indigenous stories and their insight and the worldview, we think of them as being, oh, that's, that's very quaint, that's very nice, but we don't go deeper into the parable. What, what are the meaning in many of these stories? They're profound ways of passing on wisdom. It's time we listen to that wisdom. Mm-hmm, yes. It indubitably is time we listen. And that was some fine wisdom shared by Charles Hopkins that I appreciated greatly. And you know, this was an excellent place to conclude our chat, but before we close this thing out entirely, you know what else it's time we listen to? <laughs> I'll give you one clue. It has to do with the gracious host city and island of this year's global conference. How about we, you know, celebrate Cebu? <laughs> I would like to thank Charles Hopkins for sharing in such a nice conversation with me before leaving Cebu and and I have so much gratitude I'd like to extend to all the folks who helped to make this 11th Global RCE conference possible especially RCE Cebu for hosting and uh, the University of the Philippines as well. And additional thanks specifically to the United Nations University for supporting my participation at the conference. I also wanted to send congratulations out to RCE Greater Portland for receiving three global RCE awards at the end of the conference. One was a flagship project award received by Serena Dressel and Portland State University for the ongoing intensive English language program that helps to increase awareness of the Sustainable Development Goals. Another flagship project award, to my great astonishment, was awarded to this very podcast. <laughs> That's right. PCC Sustain Me is now a proud and honored recipient of a global RCE award. How about that? The third award was received by Kim Smith and was given in acknowledgement of the Gibson Fellows Program. And I send congratulations out to all of the winners this year of the RCE Awards. There were 20 overall and some really amazing work was recognized from the RCEs across the globe. I also wanted to make sure to plug the Gibson Sustainability Symposium that is going to be held on March 8th, 2019, 
that's coming up here sooner than I can believe at PCC Cascade Campus. This is our local RCE's signature event and contribution to the local, regional, and global conferences of the RCE's. Proposal submissions will be open until January 6th, so there is still time to apply to present there. Well, additional thanks to my darling wife, Rachel Robinson, for the intro music. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me, Joe Colhane, and I must conclude it with one last big thanks to all the incredible performers, singers, and dancers, and Filipino folks who were so kind and gracious during our stay in Cebu. It was a surreal and wonderful few days spent in the Philippines, and I have to admit, I love Cebu. <laughs> I really do. I did mention I love Cebu, didn't I? (laughs) I